All right. <clears throat> okay. Are you good to go? You're across everything that needs to happen. Yeah. Lens cap's off. Lens cap is off. Yep. Camera is <laughs> the battery is in. The camera is on. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, we might just count this down then. Good? Okay. Yeah. G'day and welcome to another Carnage House production, but it is not just Carnage House production. This is actually, we're going to kick off the Young Entrepreneurs series, the Young Aussie Startup series here on Carnage House Productions um, with a very special guest, Brian Jordan, CEO and founder at Streamplate, which is a very, very cool app and, uh, and products, which we're going to hear a little bit more about, um, and a whole bunch of other things. He's uh, done a little bit of production in the film world. He's also what looks like a uh, computer programmer. He's got an IQ that's really um, not at home on a show like this. It is well north of the average of the people who are around him, but we will... Um, Press forward anyway. Brian, how are you going? <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. No, no worries at all. No worries at all. Now, I assume you hadn't heard of Carnage House before you no, got the I had message. A look. Yeah, I had a look and I was like, is this a fucking scam or something like that? But, 100%. Yeah. Well, it is. A, it may be a scam. <laughs> you yet to no, find but you out. those LinkedIn messages and they're just like, hey, I can help with you SEO. And I'm like, nah. Oh, yeah, we yeah. get that. I get yeah. that. I get that. I get that. But, um, Thoughts. No, it was absolutely, I appreciate you coming on the show. It takes a lot of guts to, to come on to a uh, random show in the kind of inner west of Sydney <laughs> um, with a bloke you haven't met before. But I think, I think it's going to be good. We're going to touch on a couple of things, but obviously the, the idea of this show and the idea of kind of this podcast in particular is to get an insight into the journey of young entrepreneurs and people starting businesses um, in Australia in particular. I think there's kind of like a, a little bit, you know, a lot of people are starting businesses, it seems. Like if you go on LinkedIn, as I did, see all the time people under 25 with founder or, you know, a startup or mm. doing whatever. Uh, so many, so many people, but um, it's difficult to really get a true insight into what, what it's like, how it happened, how's it going, what are the challenges and things like that. And so that's the type of thing that I really want to try and capture with this series if we can. Yeah, so yeah. if you could, if you could give us a little bit of a rundown on what Streamplate is um, and what gave you the inspiration to get it going. Um, well, I guess Streamplate, like to begin with, it's a personalized food ordering app. But the larger idea there is to develop a universal recommendation system. So... Um, with how software is today, it's increasingly converging on this idea of hyper-personalization. Yeah. And that's becoming a term that's becoming way more common. Whether yeah. people realize it in a more direct or indirect fashion, it's just the idea that you open an app and you see what you want in that particular domain. So it could be like with Netflix or Spotify, you expected a certain amount of curation, right? Yeah. But the idea there is, or like, the problem with that is you have then these fragmented profiles of yourself across different apps, right? Yeah. But just as how Google sort of unified searching across all the different websites under one platform, we kind of want to do that the same, but in general create sort of like a, a universal recommendation system that can plug into anything. Yeah. So the first step with that is figuring out sort of the most uncertain aspects if you're trying to understand somebody, like figure out what it is that's the most unpredictable about somebody. And that is emotions, really. Like that figuring out, because people just fluctuate like crazy at different times. Yeah. So if you can figure out what those emotional triggers are, then you from that you can deduce the sort of 
interests and I guess patterns that can come about from those sort of triggers. Right. So I was thinking about it like, okay, you know, universal recommendation system would be awesome. <laughs> how how would you go about building that? And then figuring, okay, well, emotions are quite are sort of like the the driving force behind any sort of. Uh, I guess like anytime you want something that's gonna it's gonna be quite heavily driven by emotions in that case, irrespective of whether you're rational or irrational. So by then figuring out those emotions, you can then sort of appropriate that into figuring out the sort of food and drinks people would like at yeah. particular different times. Yeah. So the cool thing with that is people eat and drink generally three times a day at a minimum, which actually creates the perfect controlled experiment rather than some sort of observational study, which Google could um, can do with their sort of search queries. Yeah. But they don't know the sort of context people have in general when they're um, providing a search query. Yeah. Whereas what we want to do is say, like, you know, at you know, this time of day, these are the sort of patterns people seem to be demonstrating. And, you know, the derivatives from that are insane. So create the personalized food ordering app is, like, the first step to that. Provide... Like the the features and functions to go about that pre-ordering, at table ordering, reservations, nutritional filtering, allergy filtering, messaging, um, all of that, the recommendation system, and then the third sort of core foundation with the app is uh, something we didn't expect, but it kind of came about as a necessity to like maximize product fit, which is web scraping. So in the same way that Google and Yahoo started off with this, this, like they had their uh, search engines and whatnot and their search systems. A key issue was, you know, if you don't have these candidates, like a candidate pool to search through, like your recommendation system doesn't work. <laughs> you yeah. need to have something there, right? So this time last year, we started trying to get venues on board. Yeah. And we sent out like, I don't know, a hundred emails and just nobody even opened them. And then we're wondering, why is that? Like, why, even though people seem to be quite receptive to our idea, why aren't they opening up the emails? And then it became a matter of like, well, people actually just don't check their emails. Yeah. So then it goes, okay, now we have to go face to face. Yeah. And that's just so time consuming. And then you look at how these other apps or our other competitors are going about it, and that's what they're doing. So if you type in that uh, the particular competitor on LinkedIn, you'll find that the vast majority of their employees are salespeople or marketing. Yeah. So now you've got companies made up of entire sales teams just to try and like create that candidate pool. Yeah. So I was like, screw that. That's just a bottleneck in itself. Can we automate that? And so what we've done is we've created this web scraper, and we've only started it. Like what is a web scraper? So a web scraper will it's like a program that um, you type in a URL. Yeah. It'll find other URLs within that web page. So websites. Firstly, are written in HTML and CSS. HTML is a programming language that's quite, it's designed to be broken because anybody can write a website, but <laughs> the quality on the web is just awful. So there's these tags, right? Pretty much like um, in the same way you have like body paragraphs and like an essay sort of structure, you can have, that's how you lay out a website. Yeah. It's a very defined structure with different areas. So like an image, for instance, has like an image tag, or yeah. text could have like a, paragraph tag which is P or different type of headers you could have like a H6 H1 whatnot. so you can specify those tags and you can extract information from the web page yeah which means you know if you can do that you can start now retrieving information and um, you can automate the entire venue collection process which is what we've done 
and then the menu process, and then images and right. nutritional information. So now we have about ten thousand venues, and this is only like about ten days in. Okay, so just to, just to just to just to clarify, so because you, you understand the way that websites work, hmm. uh, you've generated a program or you've been able to use a program, then that goes through all these all these different websites that list their menus and yeah. and items and things that they're selling on it. So that can information can be brought back to you rather than physically going out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what it means is when you open up the app now, there's ten thousand venues there. Sure. So then the issue is now that we need to get those venues to sort of like own their profile so they can start right. receiving orders and whatnot. Yeah, so that's sure. a matter of like yeah, social yeah, yeah. marketing and okay. social engineering, that aspect, which will come in the coming weeks when sure. we begin publicly marketing the app. Okay, awesome, 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 awesome. So from, from the time that you um, had the idea or kind of refined the concept to a degree, because obviously it might have started as like a fairly broad thing and then... I may have started as something totally different and then come into this. Mm. Um, how long do you think it took from your kind of the initial thought process to developing kind of a working prototype or something that you could show people so that they wouldn't think that you've just you've just got an idea on a piece of paper? Yeah, <laughs> that's a long timeline. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, mid twenty sixteen, so I did filmmaking for like a good few years. And by mid-2016, I was kind of a bit over the whole process of trying to secure financing. And then, you know, like 80% of my time, if it was like a year-long project, was on trying to secure financing for like two weeks of production. Yeah. I just, it was just, I like building things. It's just not how I enjoy spending my time. Yeah. So someone introduced me to programming, which I'd never thought of in my life. And then that just kind of opened up this whole new set of ideas. And I guess like over the past, so I did filmmaking for like three years, and the main thing I did with that was script writing. So yeah. every day I would just be writing ideas, yeah. coming up with ideas and just writing them out. And like I wrote, I think I wrote like five feature films, a few TV pilots, like yeah. So coming up with ideas was sort of the thing I did most most days. And yeah. then I guess over time, after coming up, after being introduced to programming in mid twenty sixteen. Then I realized I had this idea about the universal recommendation system. So I started teaching myself programming. Then I realized it would be the best way to go about this idea would be to get into uni. So then, and then I was thinking, well, you know, if I'm going to go to uni, I may as well go like all in on what I think would be the best course. And so that's why I did computer engineering and neuroscience. And then, um, because that is in my eyes, like the intersection of both those fields really it's yeah. like computers are an emulation of the brain so if you want to understand how a brain works you can use a computer and vice versa um, and then for the recommendation system like <laughs> it, it's like if you understand how humans think and then you can model that in the computer then again there's that perfect synergy in that sense so but then it was like 2017 was about just teaching myself app development 2018 was starting to get some people together, develop it a bit further, networking, learning iOS app development specifically, backend systems, cloud systems, machine learning. It wasn't really until 2018 that I started kind of publicly showing what I'd been working on. Yeah. And even then it was like, hey, I've got this website. And that was more about bringing more talented engineers on board to the project. Because it was, it was like a stepwise process whereby I don't know anything about programming. But I've got this big idea, like yeah. this massive vertical platform I want to build. The best way to go about it would be to get as many people as I can on board to help out. Yeah. 
but talented people are going to say, you don't know anything about this. Slash, how am I going to get paid? Yeah, exactly. So it's like, how am I going to go about this? Like, what's the chances of this ever, like, eventuating? Yeah. So you have to kind of prove yourself to other people. So in that case, I kind of, like, weaved in studying and building the app at the same time. Yeah. So it was, like, three years before I'd, I felt I'd crossed a threshold where I could start publicly promoting stuff. Yeah. Which, so it's, like, this time last year. Yeah. was when I felt comfortable publicly promoting what I was building. Sure. And even now, it's, like, what, beginning of 2020. And I'm not comfortable yet publicly promoting the app to an open environment. So it's, like, I was publicly promoting to close friends and people in, like, my social network. So yeah. that, that was, like, one degree of separation, really. Sure. Because they can, when they see something from me, there's so much more background information yeah. to kind of contextualize what that product is. It's just not an objective judgment. Yeah, exactly. <coughs> no, 100%, I get that. So it wasn't until, yeah, and it'll be another two weeks until I can begin sort of publicly promoting uh, beyond one or two degrees of separation to people. Yeah. Because again, like first impressions count. 100%. And with apps, if it doesn't work to begin with, they're not going to use it again. Yeah. So, And it's such a like hyper-competitive market space and... I think if you're going to go into a contest, you want to win that contest. There's no point saying, oh, you know, it'll be a good test to like get into this competition. It's like, no, screw that. You're going to die. Someone's <laughs> going to yeah. take your idea. And what a waste of energy. There's, there's, there's better ways of figuring out how you can improve your product without jeopardizing so much. Yeah. So, yeah, I think within two weeks, it's like February, late February now, it's like mid-March. Yeah, will be the point where we start publicly promoting, and hopefully okay. things will go from there. And how many how many people are, are working on? Steam it kind of it kind of fluctuates because of commitments with like other things and whatnot. Sure. But at the moment, there's like three of us. Three. Um, at the peak, there was like fifteen. Um, but overall, it's probably been about like fifty people that have like helped out at different stages. Sure. Like I remember when we first began, there was a guy who was like in his final semester, and then he got it, he was like, I can't work in this anymore. I was like, why? He said, because I've got a job in Facebook and San Fran. I was like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I'll see you fair later. enough. I'll see you later. Yeah. Um, so, and it was, yeah, like, for, for most people that have the time to work on these sort of projects, because if you're doing computer science, you don't have much spare time. It's just such an intensive degree. And the type of guys we get on board are usually more, like, advanced maths or advanced computer science. So their degrees just don't offer them much spare time. Yeah. So the guys that do have the most time, are usually the ones towards the later end of their degree. And so they're the ones that can only commit so much until they have to start pursuing grad positions and whatnot. Yeah. It's just a consequence of we've internalized much of the MVP process. Yeah. That would typically be way more public. But I think in that way we've been able to maximize the first impression. Sure. So like Sh I reckon that way you would also probably ensure you get greater control over the project as yeah, well. Absolutely, like yeah. From the user experience to how it runs, how it operates, all of that stuff. Um, and you'd also, I guess, you retain um, all, almost all the equity as well. In yeah, the pretty much, yeah. yeah. So it's like there's a lot of it, like, um, I've got, I've, I guess since I was young, I always knew I wanted to build my own things. Yeah. So I've always been aware of the dangers with equity and whatnot sure. and selling quick for yeah. instance and there's like Australia's still a pretty immature marketplace for anybody looking to develop a software product in general um, 
like most people will head overseas. San Fran, for instance. And so it's like, for instance, if you're an AI, I was talking to someone today about this. If you're an AI researcher, the best place you can go to is DeepMind. And they typically pay 500,000 pounds a year. Um, that's like insane, right? Like <laughs> nearly a million dollars. Yeah, so it's like, if you do a, a stats, like a PhD in stats, and you know you're programming, and you apply for DeepMind and you get the job, why would you stay in Australia? When, yeah. Like the top paying jobs for like that sort of stuff for, of for like a tenth. That's I think that's just a standard kind of economics. So you know, yeah, like if you if you go to basketball, you go you go to America. Totally. You know, yeah, yeah. All that type of stuff where there's and the 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 talent follows the money in general. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As a general rule, but there's also you know, uh, like the that job at DeepMind, for example, gives you that short term satisfaction, I guess, and and fulfills all the short term needs that you might want. But for you know, some people might be like, well. I've got this product that I really want to bring to the market. I feel like it's kind of ready. Um, and they've worked on it through uni or whatever. Um, and then it's like it becomes a choice. Do I kind of drop this product, which I think might be good, versus go and pursue something which I know will immediately kind of fulfill all my all my needs and mm. dreams uh, in the kind of in the short term. Like 500,000 pounds for anyone who's under 30 is an obscene amount of money. Not bad. Is an obscene amount yeah. of money. Like, you'd be looking at that first paycheck and going, that is the most money I have ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, absolutely, life. yeah. In ter- uh, orders of magnitude bigger, mm. you know? Well, it's fascinating because I was talking to someone, like the same guy I was talking to today, we were saying how engineering <laughs> grad salaries will be like 60K Australian. And then, you know, you could go into financing, something like that. And there's guys who, like, I know some of the screenplay guys that have gone into finance, even though they were so set on getting into doing like say a PhD in math something like that or yeah. going into one of those like software engineering jobs but the money was just so much more enticing and I guess it, it is part of it it's like if you want to like that is a competition for sure I, I just on that like my degree was in finance and I know for a fact basically that all the all the top grad programs have basically no they don't place any extra emphasis on you having a finance degree compared to you having an engineering or a mathematics mm, degree yeah. basically they say we almost prefer the guys with engineering maths because they can build us way cooler stuff than someone who knows about interest rates. <laughs> yeah, basically. Well, so it's, like it's you look skills. at more, yeah, yeah. It's skills. It's skills. Yeah. They say you got, if you can if you can code and you know how numbers work, you're going to be way more valuable than a guy who knows um, uh, how interest rates work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah and a hundred percent. And so that's why like a lot of the finance jobs get what have kind of in the past really five or ten years been way more competitive. Like it's always been the case that a lot of top hedge funds would bring guys who have um, PhDs from like MIT and maths and, and physics and stuff, they would bring those guys mm. on to build models or to kind of try and use predictive analysis or whatever it is to develop algorithms and stuff so that they can predict stock market changes. Mm. Like quants have been around for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's been kind of maths focused. But now I've, I've seen, like I noticed kind of, kind of when I was looking for jobs and stuff like that, that um, definitely more and more quant focus for finance. So it's like... If you want to get into finance, you you better be able to do some maths. Like that's just that's <laughs> yeah, just the basics yeah. of it, you know. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting seeing. So I know a few people that are studying finance at the moment, and it's interesting hearing them go about it and them describe their sort of investment choices and whatnot. But then at the same time, being reading the sort of like machine learning articles about how these systems are predicting market changes and whatnot. Um, and it's interesting just to hear the way people seem to be making some decisions versus 
these models that can not necessarily outperform people because I think most in general like most models will fail because people have like an, an amount of domain knowledge that carries them beyond the model but it's interesting how close-minded so to speak it can be to make an investment decision in some cases yeah. which goes to show it's like well with the right information could a model outperform and like uh, what again one of the screenplay guys he was working he got a job at NASA in the joint propulsion lab which is just like <laughs> I'm just so impressive and he ended up going to investment banking because yeah. he was like yeah man like it would have been cool but the numbers kind of cool up. <laughs> That's like, what, have you seen? Have yeah. you seen the movie um, Margin Call? Yeah, that yeah. is literally what the happens. Rocket engineer the rocket guy, engineer. Yeah. He says the the salary was considerably considerably more attractive. Yeah. Um, well, that's interesting. I'm glad to hear that. That's kind of based in real life. Um, yeah, <laughs> it seems to, to be some from degree. What I heard, yeah. Um, but I think it's definitely. I I think it's definitely cool that um, you know, it's getting more data driven. But at the same time, like if you look at uh, hedge fund and quant returns in general compared to like active actively managed funds so there are kind of um a couple of schools of thought at the moment that go around like where the value is for if you give someone a money versus if you give a computer money who's going to kind of get you the better return yeah is like, there a general consensus on the general well look the truth is is that i know last year that the majority of quant funds uh didn't perform nearly as well as yeah. the vast majority of um, there's just so much noise though at the same time like the signal to noise right people don't realize like the ability to filter out so much noise do you want to explain what noise is no no <laughs> so it's just like uh, irrelevant information yeah in cool. the idea that when you put on TV and you get the white static yeah that's noise cool that's yeah. the actual program you want to watch yeah you that's know. exactly right but um, and you know uh, markets in the same way that um humans can erect, act totally rationally, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. totally irrationally. And yeah. kind of there's a, there's a funny saying that the markets can remain uh, irrational for longer than you can remain solvent, you know. And so, like, the, <laughs> yeah. it, I guess it kind of drives a lot of people up the wall. But um, we might kind of – so you've got to you, – in two weeks, you say you're going to be kind of prepared to show to the public or, or roughly show to the public kind of this screenplay – the version that you are semi-happy with because it sounds like you know from what you're saying that you wouldn't be prepared to show it unless you were prepared to win yeah and if you're prepared yeah. to win like you you might you know it may not be the perfect product in your head like but it can them, win but it can win yeah absolutely. and so um what does actually coming to the market look like for you well um we want to have a, about a hundred thousand venues indexed yeah so hundred thousand dollars Hundred thousand venues indexed, and also like technically as well, a number of different um, like background, like backend system changes to. Yeah. So like for instance, it's, it's like for a so for a software product, the main cost for us is running the app. So like on the servers, right? Really? So well, like we want to kind of push as much, we want to automate as much as possible. Yeah, sure. Um, and there's a number of like. Economics of scale there that can benefit us and whatnot, but there's also like there's a number of different ways we can speed up processes. Mm -hmm. So something I've learned with software engineering is sort of three stages. You want to reach functionality first, and then you want to um, reduce the cost of that functionality. Yeah. Right. And then so like 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 then you know your standard, right? So you can say, oh well, it can perform this query ten times faster now. 
thought it was sweet. But then the third thing you want to do is you want to make it as cheap as possible. But again, you want to keep that in, in check with what, what you know is the cheapest you can make it, or yeah. like the fastest you can make it. Because code at the end of the day has to work correctly, it has to return results fast, but then it also has to be cheap to run. It's yeah. like, I remember when we first started running the app, so like the app launched the App Store 14th of January, yeah, and then the first day it was like $100 just for like three users. And it's like, okay, clearly we can fix that very quickly. And we did, yeah. and now it's, I think it's like $15 a day on average. Okay. But when you're going to have an explosion of usage, which we anticipate will be in two weeks' time, you don't want to wake up to like an $8,000 bill for one day. Then it's, where, then it's, where does the bill come from? Is it electricity or is it energy? Is it power or um, like so is it, it service space? So this, is, or this is, is like so this is with Google Cloud platform. Yeah, and there's different services we use, and so some of them will charge by billage per oh, it's like per hour, right? right? So like how long that computer runs. Yeah. Other ones are like by query because right. just the query itself sure. is so it, it's just like a linear cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other services that sort of take on. Um, scaling benefits and whatnot sure. so but it's it, it's obviously a matter of like electricity into like bandwidth yeah. storage yeah um and then operational cost i guess sure well, like okay. manning those data centers which is just insane so that's it is kind of like for um in terms of a software business the the kind of the costs are kind of semi um you say positively correlated with the amount of users like in it general just, it's yeah. just in general and it's like just kind of unavoidable to, to begin with yeah, yeah yeah and it's just the way we have like the way the app works so what we do is unlike a typical app which so like if you open up spotify or youtube yeah they'll make one query and like pull data for this user when you open up the app it's pretty much anytime you interact with the app we're sending data back yeah and then what we're trying to do is anticipate what you want to see next which means right. we're dynamically changing. That's where changing. the value is for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Which which means we're dynamically changing and like querying and just constantly making recommendations. So yeah. what would typically be like one recommendation? Because we could just say like pull the recommendation, and then for that entire session, with th- that's fixed. But the reality is, you as you see content, you're changing your standards and expectations for yeah. what you want, right? So we want to create that dynamic sort of. Yeah, like that dynamic recommendation system. Sure. It's like based off. So, it, it, in many ways, it's kind of like dating apps. Like, if you swipe left on someone, it's like, well, then we know that person doesn't like that individual. Yeah. And then, so we know the next person should be the opposite of what you just saw. And that's kind of how that it works. Is that like you bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce? Yeah. So, so it, it, and, and very much. Yeah. yeah. It's like an inverted pyramid. That's yeah. like the large, like the high level idea of our recommendation system. Yeah. And so it's like issues with like cold start when we don't know anything about you versus like a warm start when we know who you are, but we don't know like you're in the middle, like, like you've just opened up the app. Yeah. So it's like, we don't know anything about your context. Yeah. So yeah, that's for us, like the, where many of the pricing issues come into play. Right. Which just, which doesn't even scale linearly. It's like exponential, <laughs> which is sure. a nightmare financially. Okay. Right, so, so... And the thing is with startups, yeah. it's often a matter of, like, at the very beginning. And our goal is to go viral. Like, there is no... Like, we're not shy on our ambition. Because I, 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 it doesn't make sense to me. If you want to do something, you may as well go all in. Yeah, So it's like, the reality is we want to be the last food ordering app. We don't want there to be any others after we launch. Um, so, like, the reality is we want it to be... When you want to eat or drink, you use ScreenPlate. 
So it, it's just like, but to get to that point, we have to face the period where we're racing against our own like bank accounts. Yeah. So we want to kind of like <laughs> stretch that out for as long as possible. Sure, sure. Um, if it gets to a point where you do run out of cash, like would you, <laughs> which you know, obviously uh, not on wood, not on wood that it doesn't happen. Which you, like would, will happen. Like that's reality, and then yeah. it becomes a matter of um, do what write, do we do yeah, now? How like, you, raise how capital. You finance it? Yeah. So I did. So this semester, like I deferred uni this semester because I anticipate we're going to need financing. So yeah. That's it. It's like. Let's structure it. Let's structure our development and the way we market the app so that we can exist <laughs> at a formidable position. Because you also don't want to be someone else's R and D project. Sure. And many people say, "Oh, that, that's not a big issue," but it's like, well, at the end of the day, that's what I've done with other apps. <laughs> like I've yeah. watched them, what they've done over the past four years, and we exceed their performance. And yeah. That's what they offer now. So. You don't want to do that. You, you, yeah. you, like when you launch, you just want to instantly launch at such a, a lead that it's impossible for them to catch up. It's yeah. called a moat, really. Like that, that's how a lot of people describe it. Like okay. you want to have that moat, just uncrossable, really. Yeah. That's it. So, and yeah, like at the beginning, there's a danger of us running out of cash, but hopefully we'll pace ourselves and figure out a way so that we can secure venture. So like use the first few weeks as a way to demonstrate usage leverage that to secure financing and okay. go from there. And so is the business model kind of like uh, similar to other apps in the way that you'll take a clip on every order that goes yeah, through? Yeah, so we're the, cheapest, the we're the cheapest part because we uh, we focus, most of our uh, most of our business models focus actually on users rather than venues because it's, it's, it's unfair for venues because they're getting scammed so badly by like Uber Eats and Menulog and all these other guys because they charge like 30%. Yeah. Um, and it's like hospitality industry's profit margin is 7.5% which is on average 4.5% lower than the national average for most industries in Australia Yeah. and if you look at like we came across this data set of like all the hospitality venues in Australia I was like sweet and then it was like up to 2008 so I was like well most of these are out of business now and then yeah. if, you, if you look at the addresses some of them had like nine different business names yeah. at the same address it's just like if you want to set up a cafe or, or a restaurant you're competing against your own savings account Yeah. so and then for these food ordering apps come into play and then it becomes a matter of like well consumers expect that sort of service now Yeah. so we can just effectively hijack <laughs> your own just control come it. yeah and it's it's totally unfair for these venues so we've tried to go as cheap as possible and the yeah. only reason it's, the only reason it's not free which ideally is what we would do is because there's a transaction, there's a banking transaction fee from our end, yeah. And because we don't have volume yet, we still have to pay thirty cents per transaction, which is awful because a cup of coffee is four dollars eighteen. So even yeah. with five percent, we're still <laughs> we're still not making profit in that sense. For sure. So, yeah, it's like it'll be tough for the first, like at the beginning, but I don't know. We're prepared for it. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Well, and you know what? That 7.5% sounds about right. Because I heard basically as a general rule, when I worked at a bar, um, and like you can see the way the bars, the margin... It, like, it's for, savage. The mar- yeah, 100%. And one of the biggest costs is obviously wages. Mm. Um, but the that's why the markups are so huge. They have to. They mm. literally have yeah. to do it. So my understanding was, it was kind of a general rule of thumb, and obviously this isn't really scientific, is that the breakdown, it always ends up being about 30% for wages, 30% for stock, 30% for um, 
you don't rent uh, electricity, mm. all that stuff, and then there's ten percent left over. That's basically yeah, yeah. Your profit. Yeah. So you know when you when you look at a kind of a bottle of wine in on the menu and you go, wow, like I know I can buy that in Dan Murphy's for X amount. It's like, yeah, well, this guy's all, they also got to pay for the service, the guy who comes over, the cleaner, the guy who, you know, the, the strata yeah, yeah. or whoever else it is. Like there are all these unseen costs and the, the, the truth is you can almost always guarantee that if they could lower the price a little bit, they probably would just to try and get you to come back the second time. Well, so the thing is there's some apps like Eat Club, right, which offer a discount, force a discount. So I mm. thought that the venue owners had control over what items these uh, these like a club would offer right yeah as a discount it's like I remember speaking to one cafe owner and he was saying how eat club choose which items to discount to discount and then set the discount themselves and then if you want to change it you have to call up eat club and then that has to be approved by a manager it's like what the hell like it's your menu and your service well in fairness in fairness he should just pull he should just pull, pull but, service but the next thing is it's like well customers it's like the competitor across the road is offering eat club yeah. so now he's bound to that sort of relationship and it's, it's the price wars yeah the milk price wars <laughs> and the dairy farmers are the ones yeah. who end up losing out yeah it's it's savage but at the same time it's like there needs to be something way more sustainable for venues and I think it's like, for us, we focus more on users. Oh, sorry, we focus more on consumers than users. So yeah. our consumers are obviously people that are ordering. Our users are venue owners. More yeah. much. And we also do, so the cool thing is with Streamplate, we have an events feature. So you can create an event. So market stores now can pre-order, like off, accept pre-orders and stuff like that as well. That's awesome. I used to, I worked at the markets, at Everly Markets. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they do, like a lot, of, a lot of the time that it'll be, um, like butchers, for example, will go Monday to Friday in the store mm. and then they'll keep the store open on Saturday, but then they'll go out to a market and make like, for example, beef burgers, Yeah. for example. So they'll say, here's beef burger, that, you know, it's like 10 bucks or whatever it is. You wouldn't normally pay 10 bucks for, for what they, sometimes you would, I don't know, who knows. But, <laughs> but yeah. um, that's the way that they often get people to try their products is they give it a, a hot food offering for mm. what was normally you buy out of a fridge. Yeah, but, interesting, yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. There is a massive because the, the the queues and everything to line up for a lot of those food stalls are incredible, and it's also the case where like if you can see what's kind of in the market or available to you, kind of within. I don't know if you do proximity or how you like it, it. There's probably like, I think for, on average, like a normal recommendation will take in like three hundred different features. Yeah. Like factors. Yeah. So proximity is something we take. Yes. Yeah. But the next thing is. This is like the major idea is like eating and drinking is a social inter- like experience. Yeah. So people will walk further to go sure. to, to go to the place they to want an event to. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so like even the queues thing. So I remember when we first started doing this, like building Streamplate, we were speaking to a lawyer guy about some IP things, and he was saying he would never use the app, and we were like, <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah. And he was saying because going down and lining up in the queue is the most social interaction I have all day and we're like well that speaks a lot about your I job that says more about your yeah. view than it does about our app yeah exactly but at the same time it just under, it underscores queue? like the whole point of the queue like I put my headphones in and I'm like not oh 100% <laughs> I'm all for being social but it's like if you're in the, if you're in the queue you're in the yeah, queue yeah. Like, what are you going to say oh, yeah, what it, are you getting like what are you ordering like, <laughs> what's your favourite thing on the menu yeah. people be like go away yeah um, but yeah, so it, it just underscored the social idea. And that to us was really important about yeah. marrying both like the nutritional side of things, which is quite important, but also 
maximizing the social experience and keep that in mind when we're developing this recommendation system. Yeah. Because what people don't realize is like the Google search engine is really like the bar, right? For like recommendation stuff. Right. Um, but most of that's heuristic. Like software engineers have written in rules. There's no machine learning or anything going on. Yeah. It, it's, it's quite rule based and which means it's hard coded in that sense. So, because when we started writing this recommendation system, we were like, it's kind of like, you can probabilistically hit the, like, hit the mark a fair few number of times with just some basic rules, right? Like, yeah. show the breakfast menu between like 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Yeah. Like, that seems quite <laughs> normal for like 99% of people. Yeah. And then you can see how you can then further divide that sure. logic into like further segments and you, now you've got some quite like a quite a proficient recommendation system. Yeah. The issue becomes then when you've got highly social people or highly impressionable people interacting with other people and then the rules start to mix around. Which yeah. goes to show like there's been plenty of studies done on what people eat or drink in front of other partners, for instance. Like on, yeah, like on a sure. date, a guy will typically eat more than what he than what he would to try yeah. to impress. Quite basic I would say but whatever and girls particularly probably eat less that's it yeah yeah, literally yeah yeah. yeah. so girls eat less and then it's like okay well that's quite an important consideration because it's like you don't want to be showing it's like one of the things we do is ordering at a table yeah so there's other apps out there where you tap a beacon and I think software I think great software is software you don't use like when you open the computer there's hundreds of sub programs working just so your computer can just show a screen yeah and the end user has no idea about those programs but, and in the same way, it's like if you have to add a step, especially when you're using software to make a process more streamlined, yeah. then you don't want to be adding more physical interactions into it. Yeah. It's like, if you want to order a table, that should be just using your phone. For that's sure. it. And that's what we've done. So it's like, but at the same time, in that case, you don't want to be showing things that are kind of embarrassing, so to speak. Yeah. So there's a lot of considerations we have to take, like, for our recommendation system, so... Yeah. Well, that sounds absolutely fantastic. I'm keen to hear how it goes. We'll yeah. make sure that um, we've got all the links and stuff. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that people can check it out. I'm keen to try it. I've got it. I've downloaded it. It's on my phone. It's ready to go. <laughs> I'm keen to use it. Don't open it yet. <laughs> Don't open it. I'm not going to open it yet, but um, I'm surprised. I'm keen to see what it has recommended for me when, yeah. I, when I get going. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be the thing because it's like at the moment we're still like patching that up because mm. then that like we're holding ourselves to that standard. For sure. That we, that we want to show you things you want, which means people will open the app and be like, no, wrong. And then, yeah. and then they'll delete the app. So, yeah. yeah. Fingers crossed. I'm sure it'll yeah. be great. It sounds like you've got it all, you've got all the kind of the right base covered. I think definitely the, um, the user focus and the consumer focus is important to delineate and also important to, um, to hone in on. It sounds like you've got it down pat. Um, I want to say a massive thank you for coming on. The light's kind of dying on us here. Um, <laughs> so we'll be talking in the dark shortly, which would be great for the sound quality, but awful for the for the picture quality. We might have to do some, um, you know, like soft talking to the microphone. <laughs> romantic, yeah. some romantic candles. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, yeah, really appreciate you. it. Um, keen to see how this goes. And um, if you ever, you know, if you, if, I've noticed you've done a bit of writing and stuff. If you ever want to you know, publish anything, we'd be more than happy to, to, to flog it on our, yeah, on our site and stuff yeah. like that. Um, thank you again for coming on. We really appreciate it. And awesome, um, good to see you next time yeah, for cheers. sure. <laughs>